Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Good to see you guys. Um, some of you are tan because you've been away. Shame on you for not thinking of your pastor. Uh, we've had an interesting couple weeks. We, um, Megan had been on the road for over three weeks with her job, the Solomon Foundation, and, um, and she got home and she had two days of meetings after that, and she was just exhausted. And so we went away for a couple days, and it was nice, and, and then we came back home, and we, I got home Saturday night, and I opened the door, and we had another bat invasion. Um, but I, I, we are old pros at this. The very first time we had, we haven't had a bat in our house in over a year. And um, so there, this one, and this thing, man, this thing's wingspan. It was like the bat signal. I mean, it was huge. And it was just flying around. And so, you know, we've learned this the hard way. The very first time we had a bat in our house, I was in Philadelphia. And it's late at night, and I get a FaceTime from my wife. Now, if it's late at night, she'll usually text me. She won't FaceTime me. And I'm like, what is this about? And so I, I hit the thing, you know, all kind of stuff, and there's just black. And, may, and I hear this whisper. And the first thing I'm thinking is, is she in a closet? Is this a home invasion? And she goes, there's a bat in the house. She had a blanket over her head. And so... Fortunately, one of our friends who lives up the street, uh, Dave Hansel, he came down and, and looked after it. But we just had a series of them. And I thought I had put a stop to it because the two times I had seen the things get in the house, we we're in an old house. This house was built like 1929 or something like that. And like those houses you've seen, you walk in and the vents in the floor are like this big. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, they were coming in through there. I watched two of them just go, you know, come out of there. So I go to Lowe's, and I get fine steel mesh, and I put it over every single vent. Boom, no bat for a, for a year and a half. Great. Solved the problem. Then about a year ago, another bat. And then this last Saturday, a bat. I'm not sure where they're coming from, but I have theories, and I will find them. Um, so... But we had all that um, going on, and fortunately, she's home for a little while, and, and uh, it's good to be back. Um, I want to encourage all of you, as parents start to come back and stuff, a couple things here. Um, always be sure to grab a bulletin. Always, always, always grab a bulletin. And always take that bulletin home with you. If you open it up, there are a couple things in there. Of course, there's all the stuff you know, going on, volunteers and birthdays and that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, so, but we've also had announcements, but there's also prayer requests there. And so, again, I'm just asking you every single day, just take that bulletin, look over the prayer requests, and go before our Lord and on behalf of these folks who are hurting, if you would. That's one. Uh, number two, um, these little bulletin inserts that Kayla, our, our children's minister, comes up with, they go along with 
you know, our sermon series and what the kids are, are learning in Promised Land. We're going to cover um, Exodus 5 through 12. We're not going to read all of it. We're just going to few few verses here and there. But the kids are learning the same thing. And the sermon will attempt to answer those questions in here so that you can have discussions with your kids or grandkids during the week about Scripture and what's being, being taught. If you don't disciple your kids, the culture will. And so that's what I would encourage you to do. And I mean, and they need it. I saw this week that um, the average 16 to 24-year-old now spends three hours a day on social media alone. Three hours a day on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I have no idea why anyone would be on TikTok, but, you know, that's, that's what they do. And so you need to be discipling your kids. We can't do it in an hour a week. We just, we just can't. So keep that in mind. Also, just another announcement as people come back in. One, Kayla wanted me to let everyone uh, know that for volunteers, your stuff is back there. You can pick up on the back table if you're volunteering in the children's ministry and so forth. You can pick all that um, stuff up. So that stuff is back there. And if you've never been here before or if you're tuning in online for the first time, I got a message last night from somebody who tuned in online for the first time. Um, be sure to let us know that you're watching or let us know you're here. We have a visitor's table as you exit. Be sure to stop by there. So we've got a little small gift for you. The last thing I'll say is this. Uh, September 6th, that's a Tuesday night here in just a couple weeks. I start class again for my PhD next week. Um, and but, and it's, that's on Mondays. And also uh, Tuesdays, the only days I can do it. We'll be having a small group Bible study here in the, the student center or as you guys know it on Sunday morning, the donut room. Um, we'll be having a small group Bible study in there. Now, the whole idea behind this is as many of you can come as we can fit in there, and there will be limited child care. But all that being said, what I'm going to try to do, because a lot of people have asked about small groups, we want you all to have small groups. We want you to be involved in small groups, but a lot of people say, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We're gonna, well, I'm going to do my best to model it for you, and then you just take it and run with it if that's what you want to do. And so we'll have a small group Bible study on Tuesday night, and Bible study is going to be about 30 minutes of it. Prayer will be a few minutes, but we're also going to be playing some games. Don't worry, for those of you who are introverts, believe it or not, like me, you won't be chosen. You'll have to volunteer uh, to participate in the games that will kick off that. That'll happen. So this uh, coming uh, September 6th, 6 p.m., back here in the Donut Room, and we'll be covering in our Bible study the Gospel of John. Why the Gospel of John? Because that's the class I'm taking with my Ph.D. program, and so I only have limited time, so, you know, work smarter, not harder, and so that's what we'll be, we'll be doing. We're talking about the book of Exodus, and Dad uh, kicked it off last week, and we'll be working through large uh, chunks of it. And we get to this point, if you'll, if you'll remember, just to set the stage, right? What, what you've got is that the Israelites, they, the people of God, uh, came, children of Abraham, came to Egypt under friendly terms. Joseph had become a leader in the Egyptian government, and, and so he invited his family, and his family stayed, and his family multiplied. But then there was a regime change years later, and there is a new Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh does not care for that Joseph did all these wonderful things for Egypt. And so he begins to enslave the Israelites. 
And the Israelites, some of them, not all of them, some of them call out to God for help. And so God chooses Moses, who had been raised from a very early age in Pharaoh's palace, and chooses him and says, you, you're going to go in front of Pharaoh and demand that he set my people free. And so Moses argues with God. That never works out well. And so Moses finally goes and says, and, and this is how this comes about, Exodus 5. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron, Aaron's Moses's yappy brother, went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord God, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival, or really worship, in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. That's how things start. And here in a minute, we'll jump to Exodus 12, 21. So, Pharaoh says, I don't know who you're talking about. We have our own gods. I'm not going to do any. Why should I do what you tell me to do? And then, so God begins to unleash ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt. And those plagues, I have them there in your bulletin. Turning water to blood, the infestation of frogs, the infestation of lice, that's gross, infestation of flies, that's really gross, plague on livestock, plague on, of painful boils, I just had shingles, that hurts, a hailstorm. Now, you may not think much of that because we don't get many of these here in, in, in southern Ohio. Very rarely do we get any kind of serious hailstorm. And I'd always grown up hearing people talk about these hailstorms with hail the size of baseballs or golf balls. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? It's like the fish was this big. You know, I kind of thought of it that way. Then I moved to West Texas. I went to seminary in Abilene, Texas, which is right in the middle of Tornado Alley. Now, ironically, Abilene had not been hit by a tornado in 50 years, and everybody used to joke is because it's a town of 120,000 people with three Christian universities and more church attendance per capita than any city in the United States. And we used to say, well, we're just so holy, the tornadoes skip over us. Well, they didn't say anything about the hailstorms. Here's how hailstorms work in West Texas. They'd been talking about this, and it was summertime, and I was driving home from the library at seminary, and I'm driving home, and I noticed, because in Abilene, just like any kind of small city or Midwestern town, there's like six million do-it-yourself car washes, right? Every single one of them was filled, but nobody was washing their car, and I thought, why? That's weird. Then the hailstorm came down, and I realized they wanted a temporary garage because this stuff came. My car, I drove a Toyota Avalon at the time, it looked like an egg crate. And the stuff coming down was this big around. I was on, I lived in a one-bedroom apartment on the south side of the building, and this thing was coming in from the north, and I was sitting in my apartment listening to the glass break on the windows of the apartment complex. This stuff was busting through the windows. 
So when you read Hailstorm, think that this is, this is pretty scary. An infestation of locusts, a heavy darkness. I can go on and on about that, but I'll, I'll skip it. It's just like an eclipse. And finally, the death of the firstborn. Now, if you have a weird brain like I do and you're stubborn like I am, you do this whenever you read something like this. You ask the question, uh, why? Why? I know he's upset with Egypt. I know he's bringing judgment on Egypt. I get that. But why the ten plagues? And why these ten plagues? Well, you dig a little bit, and you understand why. God is doing something very, very specific here both for the Egyptians and for Israel. He's judging Egypt, but at the same time, he does say, he gives these words to Moses. He says, I want the Egyptians to know that I am God and there is no other. And he wants the Israelites, because many of the Israelites, as we'll see, once the Israelites, spoiler alert, they get set free, but after they're set free, all that happens, what happens when they get out into the desert? What's the first thing they do when Moses is gone for, you know, takes a little vacation to go hang out with God? They build an idol. They build a false god and start worshiping it. They're, they're pagans. And God is trying to teach them something. That he is supreme and the only one worthy of worship and obedience. The Egyptians worshipped gods, false gods. An idol, if you don't know what an idol is, an idol is just a false god. We get the term because, you know, people would often make these little statues of what they believe their gods were like, and they'd put them on their mantle or in their living room or wherever, and they would say prayers to it and, or, or burn incense to it or whatever. And so we call these things idols. But the Bible defines an idol not just as a false god but as anything more important in your heart than God. Anything you place above God, the Bible considers an idol. I'll get back to this, because an idol can be a good thing. It can be a good thing. I am very blessed. I am married to, in my opinion, and I got the mic, so that means I'm right. The most beautiful, intelligent, wonderful woman in the world. And marriage is a blessing. I have a son. I love my son. I adore my son. This past year, December and January, he went through some health issues. And at one, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. It was pretty scary. And he was to go to hospital. And at one point they said, maybe leukemia. 19 years old, maybe leukemia. And I remember sitting on my couch when I got that text and praying to God Please, no, kill me instead. Don't take him. 
Marriage is a blessing. Children are a blessing. God must come first. As, as crazy as I am about my wife, despite the fact that she loves to tell me every time she's hit on. And it happens a lot. It just happened this week at a gas station. <sighs> crazy about my wife. I take a bullet for my son. God must come first. Or they become idols. They become false gods. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But the Egyptians had specific gods that they prayed to. You had the god of the Nile. Huh. What's the first plague? Turning the Nile into blood. There was Hecate, the frog god of fertility. I have no idea what the Egyptians were drinking when they came up with a frog god of fertility. That's weird. But they had it. And you have an infestation of frogs to the point they don't want any more frogs. You have the god of the desert and the fly god. And my, when I say, for those of you of a certain age, I say fly god, I mean the stuff that, that buzzes around your head and lands on your food. I don't mean pretty fly for a white guy. That's not what I'm talking about. You have Hathor, the god of livestock. Sunu, the god of health. Osiris, the god of crops. Newt, not nut, Newt, which was another god of the crops. Ray, the sun god. Isis, the protector of children. So back to the why. Why did God unleash the ten plagues? He is teaching both the Egyptians and the Israelite slaves these gods are worthless. I have power over all this because I am the only God. That's the message. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and I was talking to my wife about it. And everyone has heard this sermon. If you've grown up in church, you saw we were doing the ten plagues including the, the firstborn and, and you know, the, you, of course, the lamb's blood over the doorway and the, that the angel of death would pass over. You've heard this sermon a million times if you've grown up in church. And as a preacher's kid, I was in the church in the womb. So who knows how many times I've heard it. it reminds me, funniest thing I ever, you got to remember, growing up in this church in the 70s and 80s, and living with my dad, I, you know, I'd hear all this stuff all the time. And at one time I was sitting with my best friend, Jeremy Strayer, and I was sitting in this church behind, right behind my mom. And my dad began to tell a story. And I, made the, I, I thought I was going to be in serious trouble. Because I said, I've heard this story a thousand times. I realized I said it too loud, and my mom starts to turn around. I'm thinking, oh, I'm in deep. And she turns around and goes, how many times do you think I've heard it? Um, but 
<laughs> the, the sermon goes, God judges, you have to have the blood of the Lamb to be saved, to avoid eternal death, for judgment to pass you over. And that's true. I'm not arguing against that. I am absolutely believing it. But I was thinking this week, because I make the mistake every morning of turning on the news. Um, I've heard, I don't know how many leadership coaches tell me you should start your day with a positive attitude and you should do things that put you in a good mood. I need to quit watching the news in the morning. Um, I'm watching the news, and of course, you know, they're just showing everything from the Ukraine to the, you know, the droughts and everything and the, and the shootings and all this other kind of stuff. And I was talking to Megan, and I was like, as a culture, as a culture, are we closer to the people of God or the Egyptians? I think we're closer to the Egyptians. We have a culture filled with false gods and idols that all of us, including myself, fall prey to. And so I started to scribble down, and this is, if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, trust me, he does. I sit down, I have to have my sermon notes turned in to Paula, the secretary here, by Tuesday at noon, so we can get them printed and ready to go by the end of the week. And so I sit down, and I rack my brain on Monday. I'm sitting there going, okay. What are our false gods? What are the ten idols, the ten false gods that we have in our culture? And I type up what I think they are, and I go and I copy and paste, and I hit send. And by the way, you, you don't want to send, I don't know, Nathan, you'll learn this, you don't send your sermon notes at 12.01 on Tuesday. No. Paul is a rough west sider. You send them on time. All right, she's the church secretary here, but I'm not kidding you. Paula, Paula's a tough gal, and, and she just, I remember once she was just sitting there talking to my dad. My dad said something, and she looked up, and she goes, I can whip my husband, and I can whip you too. Yes, ma'am. Um, 12 o'clock it is. So I, I send the sermon notes. I hit send, and I've got the 10 things there that I think are our 10 top false gods that we have in this nation. I'm like, whew, okay, that's done. All right. And then every day I read this thing called the Christian Post. And so it's like a Christian news organization. And so I go to the Christian Post and I click on it. And they just uploaded a story. Pastors rank the top eight idols in America. <laughs> I spent all day Monday. <laughs> They'd done a survey. Ah, why couldn't Apollo taken the day off? Anyway, here's what I came up with. Number one. Attention, especially since the advent of social media, attention has become God in this country, a God. We want attention. We want people to see our stuff that we post online. We want likes, and we want shares, and we want lots of attention. I've said this before. I said this once before. This is how fast things have changed in our culture. Like, you know, when I was in college in the 1990s, 
just the 1990s, not that, not that long, not even a whole generation ago, just the 1990s. I graduated from college in 1998. If, you, if I had walked out of my apartment when I was in college and seen a person take, like, a camera, a Polaroid camera, and go and take a picture of themselves, you thought, that person is insane. Now what do we do? Constantly. Absolutely constantly. And we live our lives through this. It's just, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We are making ourselves either into, and maybe this isn't an either or, a society of narcissists, or, which is, if you don't know what a narcissist is, it's just you're so focused on yourself. Everything in the universe focus is on, it's about you. Everything. And you actually get angry when you don't get your way in any way, shape, or form. Because how dare the universe not recognize it's all about you? Or we're becoming a nation that's codependent where we are constantly judging our own value and worth through the eyes of other human beings. Both of those things are an illness. They're an emotional illness. They are not healthy. You define yourself, if you're a Christian, by the life, the teachings, the blood, the resurrection, the eventual return of Jesus Christ. That's how you define yourself. Don't worry about likes. Now, I'm not saying that means you go out there and just say a bunch of nutty stuff either and just be like, you know, ah, oh, yeah, they don't like me. They hate me. They hated Jesus too. You're not Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, somebody will put something up that's kind of snarky that I can't help it. I love. I'll never retweet it. I'll never share it. But privately, I'm like, yes. I had a friend who died during COVID, but before he died, he, was, he, he had the spiritual gift of snarkiness. And um, Professor Mike Adams, he was a good friend of mine, and Mike Mike posted something on Facebook, and somebody responded. They said, all you do is, is, is say things that are mean and nasty, and you call yourself a Christian. Jesus would never say anything mean or nasty. My favorite response of all time. Mike responded, you're right. If he'd done that, they'd probably crucified him. He shouldn't have said it, but it was funny. Um, attention. It's, it, it, it'll kill you. It's a soul crusher. And the same thing with affirmation, number two. We don't just want likes and shares, all that kind of stuff. We want people to tell us how wonderful we are, how amazing we are, how all this other kind of stuff. I know, I know that a lot of you, I, I, I did not handle this well because I've said before, you, you don't need to come up and tell me good sermon. It, 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 it's nice, but it, it's, you don't have to do that. Um, I, I hold to the camp of William Willimon, who was a chaplain at a school in the South. William Willimon's absolute response every time somebody said good sermon was, he'd say, we'll see. 
you know, if you don't take it out and live it, what good? I, I've just been blowing hot air for 40 minutes. But, you know, and, and you have to kind of get into that mindset, you know, because, again, it will lead to narcissism and codependency, that whole thing. Oh, you look beautiful. Oh, that's great. Oh, you're wonderful. All this and that and all that kind of stuff. I know that I am more cynical than most, but you need to understand something. I've been trained that way. I worked in Hollywood. Then I worked in politics, and then I was a lawyer. You want to talk about somebody who's been surrounded by liars for a long time. I don't believe any of it. To me, they're empty words. And I don't care. I don't care. The mindset that I have to have and the mindset that all Christians have to have is essentially the only we have when it comes to pleasing someone making someone happy, we have an audience of one. If we make God happy, it doesn't matter what other people think. Easier said than done, I know. Easier said than done. Number three, oh, here's mine. Comfort. I love to be comfortable. My wife and I have this ongoing debate. And again, I adore her, but we have this ongoing debate. She has, she works when she's not traveling. She works at home, and she just has Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting because her headquarters are in Denver, Colorado. <clears throat> and we have a small house. It's just the two of us and her three demon dogs, but it's just, just us. And we have this debate, and the debate goes like this. Why do I, this being my wife, why do I, Megan, have to go when it's the weather's bad outside? Because typically she loves to work on our back deck. That's her happy place. She loves it out there. I told her she couldn't work out there today because it was supposed to get really strong thunderstorms. And she just looked at me. She said, August is almost over. I only have so much deck time left. I am working in the storm. I'm like, okay. But if it's really bad out, I tell her, okay, go up. we have an office upstairs. Go, go upstairs. Why do I have to leave the living room? Because we have an office, and that's what it's designed for is to work. Why can't you go up there? Because that's the office. Now, that is my primary point. Here's why I won't say out loud, because this is my couch. <laughs> and if you're working... I can't listen to the TV on my couch. Do you see the problem we have here? You know, what's it about? Don't tell her. She's in the back, but don't tell her. It's about me. It's my comfort, right? This is why I have borderline road rage issues and everything else. It's about my comfort, it's my time. You're driving slow in the left lane. You're taking up my time. You're standing in the middle of the grocery aisle, that big cart, no one can get around you. You're just staring around. You're taking up my time. My time. See my point? It's all about my comfort. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be in the grocery store for an hour. I want to be in the grocery store for 15 minutes. I want to be in, out, man. Hit it. 
like a recon Navy mission, in and out. I got the coffee, I got the bottled water, I'm good to go. And you people standing there in the coffee aisle, just gazing at the stars like you're waiting for Juan Valdez to hand you a cup of coffee. It's just like, get out of the way. But what's that about? It's about me. I want to be comfortable. But that can become an idol. Because we're not supposed to, as Christians, be comfortable. We're supposed to be helping people when it's not comfortable to help them. We're supposed to be spending time with people and showing love to people that we would never hang out with in a million years if it wasn't for the fact they're a fellow Christian in our church. That's just what we're called to do. But we've become so spoiled. Do you know that I read a study the other day that for the very first time in history, 16-year-olds don't necessarily look forward to getting a driver's license? You know why? Why do they have to go anywhere? You know, you just FaceTime your friends. Why would I have to have a, a car? You know, to me, it was like, I want to go to the drive-in. I want to go to the mall. I want to go do this. I want to do that. And they're like, I got Amazon. I got a 60-inch screen in my living room. Why do I need to go anywhere? We just, we've built these insular lives, and it's not the way God wants us to be. Along with comfort, we want speed. <laughs> we want stuff now. Ever tried to find something streaming and you couldn't find it? Did you get upset? Yeah. Why? You're used to this right there. It's right there, right? I mean, it's right there. I mean, come on. Monty Python's The Meaning of Life has to be on YouTube, right? What do you mean it's not? We want everything right now because we have, we have you live in this culture where we get everything like this, and it upsets us. I had, um, I told you this about a month ago. It's a Saturday morning. I'm, I'm still on my second cup of coffee, still trying to wake up because my wife's um, demonically possessed puppies wake me up at the crack of dawn. And... Um, and so I'm on my second cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, the Wi-Fi goes out. It's not supposed to do that. And I don't know about you, I ditched cable, so now everything is streaming, and we don't have any Wi-Fi. And I freaked out like I was Tom Cruise and Castaway. I didn't have Wi-Fi till what, 15 years ago? I'm 50 years old. I made it to 35 without Wi-Fi. 
You know why I think kids find Friends so fascinating? The TV show Friends is still like incredibly popular on streaming, even though it's it's you know it's it's about as racially diverse as a Hank Williams Jr. concert, and it's also just a bunch of people sitting around in a coffee shop and all this other kind of stuff. And and, and you're like, why is that? Because they're I think they're fascinated that people are talking and they don't have a phone in front of their face. But we've almost been like crate trained like dogs now that if this doesn't work, I mean, we're like Rain Man. In the movie Rain Man, it's like five minutes to Wapner, five minutes to Wapner, and we're freaking out. We've become addicted to speed. And yet, when you read through Scripture, when do the most incredible personal revelations happen for the leaders of God's people? Out in the desert alone? That's how it happened for Moses. That's how it happened for Elijah. What's the first thing Jesus does after he's baptized? Goes out to the desert for 40 days. By himself. We need to learn to slow down. Slow down. Practice the presence of the Lord. Pray more, be more aware of other people in our lives. Speed. Now, I put this as number five. I put victory, but here's what I really meant, because I thought if you just read it without context, without me staring at you, you'd just walk out. especially in southern Ohio, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I lived in West Texas. It's there. I lived in upstate New York. It's there. I went to North Hollywood High. It was there. But sports has become a god, especially high school sports. Now, please don't get me wrong. I like sports. You all know I was raised by Kentuckians. I was brainwashed to be a UK fan from Yay Big. I knew who Adolph Rupp was before I knew who the president was. So I, I was raised to be a UK fan. UK has a good basketball team this year, preseason top four. I like that. For the first time in a long time, Kentucky's football program is listed in the top 25. I like that. I will watch it, but let me ask you something. For many of you who are sports fans like I am, if your team, I don't care if it's who it is, if your team loses, do you get emotionally upset by a game? You don't think maybe you're a little over-invested? I'm not talking about gambling, Gary. I'm talking about... <laughs> That's another conversation. If we ever put in church discipline, we'll start scanning your phones for DraftKings. But anyway, it's a game. 
And you don't have to because you've all seen it. And please don't ever be this person. Please don't go. Every time I, every time I hear something has gone viral here locally, I'm always worried, please don't be at our church. Please don't be at our church. Like those videos that will go viral of the parent losing it at a game because their kid got fouled or their kid, you know, isn't getting enough playing time or, or whatever. And I just want to just, 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 bro, 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 your kid ain't going pro. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. How do you know that? You're five foot four. Genetically alone, it ain't happening. All right? He's not going to be a tight end. So let's just calm down. It's a game. It's just a game. It's fun, but it's, it's, it's a game. You shouldn't get so emotionally invested, especially this season if you're a Browns fan. Anyway, now, well, you're going to be terrible. You know that, right? Anyway, <laughs> sit down, Gary. <laughs> Hey, I'm not the one who told him to go get Deshaun, okay? Anyway. Identity. Identity. Here's what I mean by this. We have a whole generation from millennials on, and I know this from experience because before I came back here, my, my job was I planted a church downtown to reach teens and 20-somethings. That, that, that's what I did. The average age in my church that I preached at for six years was like 21 years old. I did that for six years, and I would sit with them. And it was clear to me that they were absolutely, they just wanted me to tell them, please tell me what to wear, what to read, what to watch, what to listen to. Tell me who I am. You will see these movements pop up, even within Christianity, like the Young Restless Reform Movement, which came along about 2006, 2008, and, and, and the movement will basically say, here are the podcasts you listen to, here are the vodcasts you, you watch, here are the books you read, here are the clothes you wear, here is the music you listen to, here is what you do, and here is what you believe, and I'm not kidding you, I watched a generation go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Identity is not formed by the music you listen to, shouldn't be, or the clothes you wear, or whatever. Identity should come first and foremost because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. That should be where your identity comes from. I don't care what kind of movies you like, what's your favorite sports team. I don't care what you like to wear. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Well, unless you like to watch that satanic movie, Titanic, that thing. Oh, my gosh. That's evil. Um, it's just evil. 
somebody, because it's a joke, and I know who it is, and I'm looking at her, uh, after the last time I mentioned Titanic, left a VHS copy on my desk. I was afraid to burn it because I was afraid of what demonically would come out of it. Um, yeah, a three-hour lifetime movie with good special effects, awful. Anyway, other than that, I don't care. What I care about is do you find your identity in Jesus Christ? That's it. Don't care about anything else. That's what I care about. At the same time, people want independence, and this is what I mean. I, I, I hear this all the time. How many of you have heard this? Um, if you're a Christian, you don't judge, right? Okay, uh, wrong. That's not what that verse means. Okay, here's where the Greek geek comes out in me. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, you don't get to determine who goes to heaven or hell. You don't get to determine who can come hear about me, who can hear the gospel. Okay, you don't get to determine that. That's why we say at this church, we're going to preach what, we, what we, the scriptures teach as best as we understand them, but we're going to welcome anybody through those doors. Now, they may not like what they hear, but the day somebody's not welcome to come in here and hear about Jesus, we need to just lock the doors and shut down. And that's what Jesus is saying. But of course you judge. You judge all the time. You do. Many of you school started this past week, right? Many of you are moms. If you took your kids school shopping, you tell me you didn't judge. I don't know how many moms in America every August have this conversation. But mom, why can't I buy this? Because you're going to high school not to work for Hooters. So no. What's that? That's a judgment. Good. That's good. You're gonna sit there. You're gonna. What, what would you do? You're gonna tell me if you met like Jeffrey Dahmer or Son of Sam or something like Charles Manson? You'd just be like, I'm not judging you. Some people, that's their thing. Serial murder. No, what do you do? It's like we lost one of my favorite comedians, Gilbert Godfrey, a few months ago. He had this joke, and it was aimed at kind of this thing. He said, I was having lunch with my friend Charlie Manson, and he said, is it hot in here or am I crazy? He was nuts. We can judge that. Yes. I'm sorry, Jeffrey Dahmer, if you're putting body parts in your fridge, there's something wrong with that. I will judge. And we get this, that where it goes to independence, it's like, I, you know, if somebody, especially when they screw up and they come to see me, and the moment I, I, I kind of try to walk them through kind of what led to this and what's going on in their heart and what they need to do to, to rectify it or, or, or change it, if, if, you know, some, you know, guy comes in, he's been caught because he's addicted to adult material online, if you know what I'm saying, and I'm like, okay, well, you need to put filters and you can't be on the internet anymore without your wife in the room and all that kind of stuff. He's like, and you're judging me. He's like, no, what you're saying is you want to do what you want to do and you want everybody to go, it's okay. And I'm going to say, no, it's not okay. I'm not saying whether you're going to heaven or hell. I'm not saying you can't come to the church. I'm not saying any of that. That's what Jesus meant. But yeah, that's wrong. And you are not independent. 
Anything you do, if you do something destructive, you do something wrong, that's going to hurt your friends and family. You have connections. It's not just about you. You are not an island. And you need to understand that. Eight, sex, that just goes along with what I just said. I don't know what the statistics are today. I know what they were when I was ministering to 21-year-olds because you want to talk about a problem. At that time, I don't know what they are today, but at that time, the pornographic business in America made more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA. And I understand Men can slip. I understand. I tell people all the time that, unfortunately, physically and sinfully, men are not mentally, physically, without the Lord, monogamous. Not by nature, because we have sinful natures. Unless God changes that nature, that's not who they are. That's just not who they are. But it's not just this. How how many of you knew this statistic? Almost 40% of regular viewers of pornography are women. Not just men. It's not just men. And I tell guys this all the time. You need to understand this. And people watching online, a lot of people probably just clicked off. If you're engaged in pornography, you have collected for yourself an electronic harem and you should be ashamed of yourself. Your wife is your definition. No matter what age, no matter what, your wife, if you're a Christian, is your definition of beauty and desire. You hear me? I'm lucky. My wife's hot. But anyway, I could go on and on with this. Let me just mention one other thing. You can read through this if you want. Innovation. We need to be careful how we view technology and innovation. It can bring blessings and it can bring disaster. I am grateful that we have innovations as such that there is now in development a pill that they believe will be able to target cancer without the use of chemo. Instead of attacking the whole body, it attacks the cancer cells themselves. They, this has been in development for some time. I hope and pray that happens. I hope and pray that happens. But those same pharmaceutical companies can, and I'm about to step on some of your toes, but I believe this is biblical, same pharmaceutical company can produce a pill to produce overnight abortions. One is a blessing. The other, in the eyes of God, is sinful. We need to keep all of this in mind because all this stuff can just sneak into our lives and, and, and not we don't really notice it until it reaches a dangerous point, a dangerous point with our family, a dangerous point with our work, a dangerous point, more importantly, with our relationship with God. All of this stuff, 
If you are more concerned about how your fellow sinful creatures view you and like you and affirm you rather than your creator and Lord, we have a problem. We have a problem. If you don't have the patience that you need to have that I didn't have sinfully, that when your power goes out or your Wi-Fi goes out and it's just like, excuse to pray, right? All these things will test you. I've had many, 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 many theologians talk about this. How do you know what your idols are? And I've had many, some say, look at your checkbook, look at your bank statement. Where does your money go? We'll go through your credit cards. What, what do you spend money on? That's your God. I've heard others say, what, what, when your mind starts to wander, as we all do, our mind starts to wander, where does it go? That's your God. What do you think about the most? That's your God, all those kind of things. What we do need to remember to wrap this up is this. Exodus 12 is, is, does, in fact, no doubt about it, point to Jesus Christ. When God tells the Israelites, take a lamb, take the lamb, and take its blood, and mark your entire family with it, and the angel of death will pass over you, we need to understand that if you've come to faith in Christ, you've been baptized, you call yourself a Christian, you say that's who you are. You have not been marked with the blood of an animal. You've been marked with the blood of the Son of God. What did that cost? And what should be your grateful response? And what I'm arguing today is your number one response is this. Kill your idols. Kill them. Destroy them. Get rid of them. And make the God your God. Your only God. That's enough, right? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that even before time began, you had this plan. You had this plan to save us through the life and death and resurrection of your Son. And we eagerly await his return to rule and reign. In anticipation of that and in gratitude for our salvation, may we root out the idols in our lives and dedicate ourselves primarily to you. And the irony is, the closer we are to you, the better we'll be to everyone else. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. Go UK in the bingle. Sorry, it had to be an ironic ending. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.